Welcome to Stories in Bold. I'm Luke McGinty, and this is The Land Between Walls. There was a great tree at the center of it all, and at the edges, three walls, one to each side, left, right, and south. Together they cut the shape of birds flying in formation. Along most of the right wall was green and open country, while a dark and thorny bramble lay in the land to the left, running up against the wall on that side. From there were the lowlands, in and towards the center, wet in the rains with swamp. Then a gentle rise up to the heart of the north. Here the tree stood enormous at the place where the land came to the final height of its long plateau. The dry highland rolled on until it winnowed into just a sliver at the corner of the world where the left wall met the right. This place, his country, all of it taken together, was everything he knew. A hundred families lived in burrows under the roots of the tree. A few dozen more were scattered in the lowlands, but these were mostly scraggly loners, always hungry. They fled to the tree in the rains and were pushed out in the dry season. There was not enough to feed them. There was one family who made a life for themselves in the bramble. No one else knew the paths, and it was dangerous to go there. The open land was dangerous, too. The young mouse had been told this all his life. But he only came to understand the lesson when one day he was snatched in the talons of a hawk. He thought he was dead. But the talons wrapped around him, and he saw the ground was very far away now. He couldn't see one blade of grass for another, just the enormous field of it. The hawk turned, and the young mouse was sure the speed of it would kill him. Then the tree was in front of him. It was huge, the size of everything. And the hawk was at the top of it, above the tree. Then the young mouse was falling, and he was scared he'd fall the height of the world. At least he thought this was a wild way to die. Far better like this than racked with hunger or drowning in mud. But then he was on his feet. It was some place at the crest of the tree, a twist of twigs and grass that curled up at the sides and was at least as large as any hollow he had ever seen. This was the home of the hawk, a nest. He had only heard stories. He crawled to the edge of it and looked down. He could see nothing of the world, though, since the huge branches and countless leaves of the tree blocked his view, and so instead of looking down, he looked out. There he saw the shock of his life, for as far as the young mouse could see, there was nothing but green. A hundred hundred trees going as far as the sky. This one now, the great tree, was just a one, huge but almost nothing against the horrible mass of the rest. He might have died. He didn't know what to do, so he went back down to the nest where the hawk had dropped him. He hadn't seen it at first, but off to one side there was a bundle of feathers, not much bigger than the mouse himself. It unfolded, and he saw it was more than just feathers and anyway far larger than him. A beak and ugly gray eyes came out, scrawny legs and wings that looked nearly naked. It was a young hawk, gross and more awkward than its parent, but still. 
It was a hawk. It clicked and moved towards him. The young mouse was faster, though, and he darted onto the long branch that reached up from the tree and held the nest in its place. He was on it fast as the grown hawk swooped low again to grab him. He was in the leaves now, though, into a hollow where the wood ruffled and curved in on itself. It was dark, and he was inside the tree, and the wood underfoot was wet and soft. There was no light except from behind him, and he knew that that way there was only death. He ran at a sprint down the slant, and the hollow narrowed through a tight poke hole, and there he stopped, and all he heard was the sound of his own panicked breathing. He sucked air in and held it. It was quiet. There was the whistling sound of a breeze, and all the wood of the tree creaked around him. There was nowhere to go but down. He went slowly, moving by feet in the dark. It was a long way, but after a while he could smell the familiar scent of other mice. And then he was in the tunnels that he recognized, but only faintly, as if he hadn't come this way since he was small. Then, under the wider paths where smell was strong and memory faithful, and here he could move fast with confidence, around a bend, and he was in the great hollow under the tree. His blood was still pounding, and he called out for help. Soon there was a crowd around him, and he told them what he had seen. He did not speak or use words, but they understood him in the way that mice do. I have seen something horrible and beautiful, he said. The hawk took me as prey to its nest above the tree. I escaped, but from there I could see that our tree is not the center of everything, but only one of many. As far as there was, there were trees. Beyond the three walls, there is a world beyond the three walls. There is a great forever. Our world is a lie. There were shouts from the crowd, and a mother grabbed her child and darted back down a tunnel. He started to talk them down again when a silence fell over them. He knew the smell and the sound of the old mouse as he came slowly to the front. He walked with a long, dragging limp. It is true, the old mouse said. There is a world beyond our walls. But it is only horror, not beauty. There is nothing for us there. Nothing but death and desperation. How do you know? the young mouse said. I have seen it, the old mouse replied. When I was young like you, I went out and I saw the horror. No one else survived. I beg you, do not go. I hear you, the young mouse said, but I do not believe you. Either you have not seen what I have, or you are made of smaller stuff than I. Now that I have seen the world as it is, how could I stay the slave to ignorance that I once had been? We are not worms. We are mice. What would I be if I did not press the edge of what is known? Ours is to build and to explore, to grow and to dream. Without that, what are we? What would you have me be? The old mouse tried to speak, but the young mouse was tired of his fear and cowardice. He pushed him back and shouted to the crowd, Who's with me? A rowdy few ran forward. Some of the old and the mothers were horrified, but that was their way, and his was to dare to live in spite of them. They readied themselves to leave, and the little group was out on the march within the hour. 
In the open field he could see the hawk circling above, but even she must have sensed the power in their newfound force of will. She did not dive or trying to stop them. From what the young mouse had seen, he knew that it did not matter which way they went. The world was free and enormous all around them. But they made for the place in the north where the left and right met, not out of necessity, but simply out of feeling. It seemed to the young mouse and the rest that they should head northward, onward, upward, and out into the world. Left or right would do the job, but didn't seem nearly bold enough. And so they came to the place where two of the old world's three great walls met. They were sheer rock, gray stone rising from the grass to a height not as tall as the tree, but still higher than any mouse could climb. About halfway up the face of the right wall there were great symbols and signs, drawn across the face of the rock in bright yellow and red. The colors had faded and chipped in places. These symbols were as old as the world. No one could read them. And yet every mouse knew them, had stared at least once and tried to guess at their meaning. Now the young mouse looked up with the daring hope of understanding. Maybe all the secrets of this world lay just beyond the walls that made the edge of it. At the very foot of them the ground was wet and slick with mud. Almost no grass grew here in the shade. None of the mice had spent too much time this far north. There had always been nothing for them here. Until now. With the mass of rock, the edge of everything, met the ground. The young mouse stared up, undaunted at the face of existence. The others looked to him as a leader, and then, for the first time since he'd been carried to the top of the tree, he felt helpless. There was no way he could lead his people over the wall, and yet then he remembered they were mice. They were not like other creatures, the cricket, the squirrel, or even the hawk. No, their way was to shape the world, to make it as they needed it to be. With power in his voice, he told them to dig. The ground was wet and the going was hard, but they were strong and sure and many, and they had a dream of a new world inside of them. Soon they were underground and the old world was behind them. The walls were overhead, and the new dream was only as far away as they could dig themselves. There was no way they could know when they had gone far enough, and so he decided their only choice was to go on digging. In the heat of the dark, he finally reached a place where the dirt was dry. He kept going. Then, before he knew how or why, the ground shifted, and in the dark he could not see what had happened, but he felt the earth collapsing, sliding fast behind him now, and he heard the rest of them shouting, screaming as the dirt muffled their life, and the darkness and the mud fell in around them, and then the sound of them was gone, but still he did not stop digging. All of them were dead, and still he did not stop digging until with tears in his eyes he felt the ground grow soft again. And then it was easy now to dig, and he could see the edge of sunlight peeking through ahead of him. He clawed into the air. The young mouse was breathing hard, and he was blind in the light of the new world. But as sight came back to him, he wished that he could not see. He saw that it was night now, but light shone down beneath the black sky from strange trees that grew above him. 
The great walls lay just behind, and he had come out in a narrow strip of grass. Beyond that the breath caught in his lungs. There was a great expanse of stone, and ages beyond, countless great green trees, just as he had seen. But between here and there, only horror. It could not be. Monsters chased each other across the expanse of stone. Faster than a rain, faster than a hawk, faster than God, the strange and enormous great-wheeled beasts thundered after each other, their eyes bright and blinding like suns, and their skins shining black and silver and every other color there ever was or never had been. The young mouse collapsed at the sight of this great death, the scale and horror of these demons. The ground shook at their power, and he shattered before them. Their roar so loud he could not hear his own wailing. There was no way forward. For him, no way back. The old mouse had been right. There was nothing beyond the edge of the world. just heard the story, The Land Between Walls, by me, Luke McGinty. If you've listened to the other episode to this podcast, you probably realize that this was a very different story than what I put up here so far. In one way, important to me and probably no one else, is the fact that this is new writing. Brand new. If you're listening to this, you are one of the first people to hear it. So congratulations if you liked it, and if you didn't, I apologize. Perhaps more importantly, this story is very different in terms of substance and I think in terms of tone from what I've put up here before. I was actually apprehensive about putting this story up so early in the process because it is a little weird. Firstly, the subject matter is about talking animals. It is a departure from the sort of writing that a lot of people are into. But this was a story that, you know, kind of just came to me. I was driving in Long Island one day, and I saw sort of a strip of grass in the middle of a highway. And there was, as I describe in the story, a patch of grass uh, bounded by three walls, roughly in the shape of a triangle, and then a tree. So it was this, you know, a decent-sized tree. So it was this sort of little world into itself. Um, And so if the ending was confusing, uh, my goal was to make it not confusing, but sometimes as a writer, you have to accept that you fail. Uh, What happens to our character, the young mouse, is that he leaves, realizes that he's been living his entire life on a traffic island in the middle of a highway. So this, for me, was a way to play with a genre that, honestly, I don't read too much, but that I've always found interesting, which is cosmic horror something about grappling with the unknown, the unknowable, is interesting, fun, especially as a writer. And while very often in that genre you're dealing with Cthulhu or an enormous monster, something that is cosmic in scale, for me it was fun to play with the idea that maybe to something else we're the monster. We're beyond understanding. The worlds we build are beautiful, but from a certain perspective. Horrible. 
one of the other reasons I wasn't sure if I wanted to upload this story so early on is the tone is a bit different from what I tend to go for. In general, I like to write stories in a way that's very approachable. I want my writing to speak for itself. I don't want you to need to have me explain it to you, uh, which is why I explain it to you every time. Uh, but no, I do think if you need an English teacher or a professor or a literary critic to tell you why a story is good or you know what a sentence means, then in my opinion, the writing is not very good. So this was a weird one for me in that I did go a little far in terms of the style. And yet I think because of the subject matter, I didn't feel like I had a choice. The only other thing I'll say, because I know this end cap is getting a bit long. Sometimes I think when I'm reading these, it can be too much about the performance. And then the voice, the narrator voice, gets in the way of the substance of the thing. For me, I need to think about who am I? reading the story, you know, what character do I want to inhabit? It can be abstract. And so I first started reading it in a voice. I read it in sort of a country-western type voice, just as a joke. And then I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to read the story as the old mouse, sort of as a cautionary tale, like imagine that he's gathered a bunch of youngsters around to scare them into, you know, living lives that society wants them to live, the way that folk tales are designed to do. But it was interesting to see how certain little details, the description in the beginning became something the kids would be familiar with that teaches them their geography. And then the voice, the character I inhabit makes a difference. So for this, I ended up deciding to read it as the voice of the people, inhabit that awe, live in the awe, live in the horror but also give myself some distance to allow myself to get caught up in the struggle, the bravery, and also to pull back in a bit of a state of reverie at the end. I don't know if I if that came through. I don't know if I wanted it to come through, but it helped me. And if you liked it, if you thought that was fun, let me know. If you thought it got in the way, let me know. You can read this story and others on my website, theradicalbalance.com. And you can uh, message me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm there at McGinty Live. Thank you for listening, and thank you for being here.